Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Bulls Beat Podcast Show, the Chicago Bulls Podcast. Welcome back to the Bulls Beat Bulls fans. Doug Conus here with you discussing our Chicago Bulls, and this will be the first of probably several Zach Levine heavy podcasts around his potential trade. So Shams and Darnell Mayberry reported that Zach and the Bulls are going to consider looking at other options. Zach is open to a trade. The Bulls are open to trading Zach. And so we're going to explore and see what is out there. First, I'm not going to give you a bunch of potential trade scenarios. I just think it's ridiculous. I have no idea what other teams will offer. It'll always be like way different than you think. So I'm just not going to dive down that rabbit hole. There's, I mean, And also there'll be a gazillion people doing it. So I'm sure every other podcast you listen to is going to overflow you with Zach potential trades and trade destinations. And what actually happens might be one of those, or it might be something totally off the wall you never thought of. That's just how these things go down. So, uh, you know, it's like when Damian Lillard got traded to the Bucks. you know, everyone was just trying to figure out how he was going to get to the heat. And then all of a sudden he's on the Bucks. you know, so these things just, they don't always go the way you think they're going to go. So what I am going to talk about are some of the constraints, some of the limitations, some of the oddities of this trade, uh, some of the management practices, uh, why we're here and <laughs> what it looks like. And, and to me, those are maybe more interesting things. Uh, what we actually get for Zach will be very interesting. I just think that I have very little ability to predict what it'll be and don't even want to guess, but we'll kind of get into all those topics. So first, uh, the most important thing is some time restrictions. So a couple of the teams I think that would theoretically be interested in Zach Levine would be the LA Lakers or the Philadelphia 76ers. The 76ers talked about trying to get a star guard back for James Harden or stuff that they could use to trade for a star guard. It's hard to imagine a better guard than Zach entering the trade market. So we'll see if they want Zach. They're now off to an 8-1 and one start. Tyrese Maxey has just been incredible, so maybe that's just off the table now and they're not interested. But if they are interested, then I would happily take the Harden package back for Zach Levine and just be done. I just told you I wasn't going to talk about packages, and now I'm talking about packages. Uh, but with the Philadelphia 76ers, they cannot aggregate guys from the James Harden trade, and if we trade with them, it almost has to be those guys uh, until December 31st. So you're, you're talking like, what, I don't know, it's like six and a half weeks, something like that, roughly, I don't know, seven weeks. Uh, so you got, you got a ways to go before you can trade with Philly. Uh, with the Lakers, who I think is another team that might be interested in Zach, uh, most of the guys that you would think of that might be in that trade are going to be guys they signed this offseason. Those guys can't be in a trade until December 15th. There's probably another, uh, sorry, a number of other teams in that same boat of maybe they want Zach, but they would need to move someone they just signed and they can't move that guy until December 15th. There'll be a lot of flexibility open on that date. Also, if you need to get a third team involved and there's minor permutations or whatever else. So thinking about the timing of this, to me, it's hard to see that anything gets done anytime soon unless someone just comes in with a tremendous offer. Now, the Knicks theoretically were negotiating with the Bulls last trade deadline. And I don't know if the Knicks are still open to doing whatever they were thinking they were going to do. But that would maybe be a negotiation that could pick up really fast if they were close on a deal and the Bulls just didn't want to move Zach. Maybe there's something already in place framework-wise there. So maybe that could be something that moves quickly. Um, but I think in, in other senses, 
you're going to probably want to get more bidders into this. And a lot of the bidders and things you need to happen probably won't be available right away. Now, you can talk to the Lakers and you can talk to the 76ers and say, hey, are you willing to do this trade on this day and stuff like that and figure things out. But So that's, that's a good, like a little tr- bit of a tricky scenario there. Uh, so probably this is going to actually extend on for a while, which is why I said this will be the first of many negotiations. Uh, the next thing is, what are the Bulls actually going to look for? Now, if you've been listening to my podcast or the Big Red Bus, which I talk on pretty regularly, you know that I would probably be generally in a rebuilding type of mode. Uh, people often think of tanking when they go rebuilding. I would maybe be okay tanking. I'm not saying I'm, I'm totally against it. But I don't think you necessarily have to tank. But what you do need to do is get a lot of draft assets. Uh, you need to get younger and you need to get cap flexibility. So like if you're rebuilding, you need to improve your asset base. And you can do that through the draft. And the higher the picks you have, the more it improves your asset base generally. But you can get lucky anywhere in the draft, right? You know, in, in a crazy scenario I brought up on Twitter today, if the Bulls, when thinking about taking Patrick Williams, had been willing to trade him to Detroit, and there was some theory that maybe Detroit would have traded up to four for Patrick Williams, and they gave us a 19th pick, which they had in that draft, and we got seven and 19 for four, which is like a pretty reasonable trade. Like if, they, if, if Detroit actually wanted Williams, they probably would have done that. If we had done that and taken Halliburton at seven and Tyrese Maxey at 19, where would this team be now? Now, I don't mean this as in, like, I think Acme should have done that. This is totally hindsight, totally hindsight. So I'm not using this as a criticism in any way. But what I am saying is you just got to get lucky in the draft, and sometimes you can get lucky in all kinds of places you don't expect. So you don't always have to be at the top. But what you do need is you need lots of opportunities. Um, Or you just need to get even luckier, right? Like, so if there are say, one guy outside the top 10 that's really going to give you a star impact and you have one pick, pretty unlikely you're going to get that guy. Um, And if there's like one guy like that every year and you have one pick every year, pretty unlikely. But if you got three picks every year in that range, well, you know, now you got a chance. You know, after two, three years, you have a much better chance of, of making it happen. So anyway, you just need assets. And draft assets are great assets. Uh, even if you don't like the players you draft, you can often trade them for more draft assets or other people who want to rebuild for veteran players. So they're very fungible assets too. Like you get extra picks, you can do a lot with them. So you need assets um, and you need, you need to come up with some way to, to start increasing your asset base and make it more future focused than now focused. So that's what I would do. Uh, what are the Bulls actually going to do? Well, Casey Johnson tweeted, you can expect them, uh, they just entered, they took over this team in a rebuilding situation and they used all their assets to get out of that. Don't expect them to go back into it. And I think he's right in terms of what I think they will do. I think they won't go into a rebuilding situation. I think they even promised the Reinsdorf we won't go into a building, rebuilding situation. And so they're probably going to try to win now around Damar and Vooch. And what's funny about that to me is I don't remember how long ago this was, but maybe it was around the trade deadline last year. Maybe it was early in the summer. I said they can't possibly be stupid enough that they trade Zach to get veteran players to try to win around Damar and Vooch. They can't possibly be that dumb. It's like the worst possible decision you could make. 
Because now you're then locked into trying to bring DeMar back because you're trying to win now at 35 on a big money deal. You've got DeMar and Vucci, both of them don't fit well next to anyone or each other. Like, they just don't fit well next to other players. Like, Vooch can't do the primary things that the modern meta center can do, which is defend, run the rim, and you know, just be athletic, take, you know, protect the rim, maybe guard in the perimeter some. Maybe some, some people in that mold are shooters. Like, he doesn't do any of those things. Like, he's not a shooter. I've talked about that a lot. He's not any of those things. And then DeMar, like, I like DeMar. I love him as a person and I like him as a player too, but like he is a mid range shooter, a game that does not mold well next to other players. You now need like four shooters next to DeMar to make that work. And then DeMar also has to have the ball all the time because he's useless off the ball. And so he's like a very niche player. Like it's hard, it's hard to work around both of these players. You know, these are what I'll call the anti Lonzo ball, like Lonzo ball. If you had three Lonzo balls and a star and then a, a rim running center, that could be an amazing team. It'd be an incredible team, right? Like, You'd have three guys who are amazing shooters, uh, great versatile defenders, can run really well in transition and move the ball immediately. You know, like you, you could do miracles with that team. And so, you know, DeMar is like the opposite of that. If you had three DeMars, <laughs> you'd just be like, you'd, have, you'd triple team whoever had the ball and you'd never have anyone leave, you know, the, the paint. So, uh, it, you know, it's, it's kind of just been tricky to build around a guy like DeMar. So it's not that he's not a good player. I think he's a very good player, but he's like niche in performance and then, or sorry, niche in what he can do. And then his performance is also likely to drop. So that's the problem. So, so we appear to be going down the worst path possible. Now I'm going to wait to see what happens. I'm not going to condemn them. Like it's quite possible they don't end up doing this. This is a Casey Johnson tweet. I tend to agree that they might do it, uh, but Boy, would it be rough if we just traded for vet players and you don't get anything that helps you in the future for Zach and you're just chasing playing wins. Man, would that be rough. The decision on what you try to do may also hinge a little bit on what happens over the time period before we can trade Zach. So I mentioned, you know, there's, there's these rules that are going to make it more likely than not that this goes at least until December 15th when a lot more players become trade eligible. Impossibly if they feel there's real interest from Philly to the 31st when Philly can then do a lot more things. So over that period of time, you're going to play a lot of games. And if the Bulls have, say, I don't know, like a record of 7 and 15 or something or you know, whatever it is, I don't know how many games exactly I made that up, you know, if they're if they have this really poor record where they're basically at say like thirty percent, thirty three percent win percentage, you know, and they're like trending towards, you know, like the twelfth or thirteenth finish, and they're like a bottom seven team. Like it doesn't look all that exciting then to try to get win now players, so they may get a little bit protected from their own thoughts if this drags out a little bit. It may go far enough where they say, "Nah, we can't do it," but we'll just have to wait to see what happens. They never gave up on that last season, even though it looked really, really bad at the deadline. And then they had the pretty strong finish when they brought in Pat Beverly. I don't think it was all about Pat Beverly. I think it was actually about Zach Levine playing out of his mind. But whatever. They, they were still chasing it. 
at that deadline, they weren't thinking about selling. They were thinking about buying, and they couldn't find something they could buy. Uh, so it feels like they're probably going to chase the play-in, regardless of even if they get down pretty far. But maybe, maybe that won't happen. And we'll see. This could be just the first domino of several. Like maybe this triggers trades for DeMar and Vooch. It's hard to say what will happen there. Based on the MO of the front office, I don't think it will. Based on the MO of the front office, I think they're going to try and win now around DeMar and Vooch, which again, to me, worst path possible. But we'll see what happens. Won't kill them until they do it. (laughs) But I expect it. All right. So we've talked about the restrictions. We've talked about the type of thing they may or may not be looking for. And I think what I just described, what I think they will be looking for, is probably not real exciting to the rest of you Bulls fans. Certainly not to me. Uh, Now I want to talk about the situation that would maybe work well or not well for the Bulls. So first, has Acme ever won a negotiation? Like they just completely folded the Zach on his extension. Uh, He got a 15% trade kicker and the most money they could give him and the option year. They didn't like hold the line on anything. Uh, So, and whatever, they didn't have to. Like they offered Zach a ton more guaranteed money. I can't believe they felt they had to give him a trade kicker too. Um, It's sort of ridiculous, but regardless, we'll get to that in a minute. They appear to just overpay Vooch by about 10 million a year without even waiting to see what happened. They appeared to... Give Io maybe, maybe like seven million a year when probably they could have got him for like three or four million a year if they just like they didn't seem like there was any bidders after the news broke. Nothing else came out saying there were other bidders either. You know, certainly his play the previous season didn't warrant a seven million dollar year contract. Love what he's doing this season though. Uh, clearly, they overpaid Vooch when they traded for him. Uh, when they got Demar Derozan, his alternative offers were the taxpayer mid-level exception for 15 million and we paid him 87 looks like maybe we didn't have to go that high everyone called it the worst deal in the league now demar has ended up validating that deal so this isn't about whether demar is good but it's just about what the market value is like we outbid the market value by 72 million you know of, of the next highest known bidder and demar talked about that like i'm not just making this up demar talked about it on the podcast with Draymond green about how he didn't have any other offers uh, we appeared to overpay Caruso, and I think that's been a fantastic contract, and Caruso is amazing, and I love him, and it was a great move to get him. Uh, but he went back to Lakers and was willing to go there for less money, and they wouldn't even pay him the less money than the Bulls to go there. Like, so, like, whatever, whatever it was, he, like, offered him, like, hey, I'll come for, like, $2 million less than the Bulls are giving me. And, and they still said no. So we were like also the high bidder there. And maybe with Caruso, we needed to be. And like I said, that turned out to be a great deal. So I'm not saying all these things turn out to be great deals, but they definitely are like not fighting for the margin in these deals. Like their MO is to basically cave to whoever they're negotiating with to make the thing happen. Like, oh, all right, well, I got to pay you just an absolute crap ton more than anyone else will. Yeah, okay, I'll just do it. Oh, you need like two picks for for Nikola Vucevic and a good young player, and I got to take back bad salary? Uh, yeah, no problem. Oh, Vuce, you think you're worth $20 million a year and we're going to promise you more touches? Uh, okay, sure, why not? Like, it just doesn't seem like they hold the line to anything. Zach wants a trade kicker? Yeah, let's do it. And so when you start looking at, like, whether this will be a good deal for Chicago and whether we get something in return, I have zero faith that these guys will negotiate a good return unless they get multiple bidders bidding against themselves 
And basically, it's like three teams negotiating, you know, to try to get Levine by offering the most. And that way, now the onus isn't necessarily on the Bulls to be great at negotiating. It's just that the supply and demand works in their favor. And the demand is high enough that, you know, that someone basically caves into something big to beat another team. I don't think these guys have what it takes to do what Daryl Morey did with James Harden and the Clippers. Which, like, even though the Clippers are the only team interested in James Harden, he completely destroyed them in that deal. I was blown away with how much he got for James Harden when that trade went down. <laughs> I thought it was insane. Uh, so, anyway, I don't think these guys have that. I just don't think they do. Like, Daryl Moore, he's got to be an amazing poker player. Like, <laughs> he's got, like, nothing. He's, he's got a pair of twos and somehow, you know, get, gets the other team to fold anyway. Incredible. Uh, so finally, I want to talk about Zach Levine's trade kicker and the luxury tax. Look, let's be realistic. We know the Chicago Bulls are probably not going to trade Zach Levine and then pay the luxury tax afterwards. This is highly, highly complicated by the trade kicker. So the way the trade kicker works is you take 15% of Zach's remaining salary. Now, right now, that does not count his option year. I don't know if there's any reason Zach couldn't opt into the option now. I think he could. So if he opts into the option now, then he would get 15% on that option year. If he doesn't, then he wouldn't, you know, or at the time of the trade. It is prorated for this year. So whatever money we've paid him this year won't count on it already. So we're like, I don't know, whatever, 15% of the season. So whatever that amount of his salary won't count towards it. But we'll just say roughly it's going to add $6.5 million per year to Zach's salary. So let's ramp up Zach's cap hit to like $46.5 million. All of a sudden, if you add $6.5 million, boy, the Bulls are really close to that hard cap, aren't they? Which they can't go over. So we can't take back $46.5 million. I mean, we could, but we'll be like right at the apron, which whatever, we don't care. But we'll be over the tax if we take that much back, right? Like we are basically a couple hundred thousand dollars below with Zach at his current salary. So that would push us like six and a half million over. And if the Bulls want to avoid the tax, what becomes tricky about that is the Lakers are hard capped. So they need to send at least 41 and a half million back. Well, lo and behold, that puts us over the tax. Philly is 3 million away from the apron and then they'd only be able to match it 110% which also would put us over the tax. Miami's already over the first apron, so they can only do 110%, which, lo and behold, also puts us over the tax. Now, there's other teams, and it's meant to be one of those three teams. I just use those three as illustrative examples because those three were mentioned as teams that might be interested in Zach Levine. And those are teams that I thought, on the top of my head, might be interested. So the trade kicker really could become a big problem. Now, there's a super simple solution to it which is Zach can just wave it. And so I think in a scenario where like Zach is going to the Lakers or Zach was going to the 76ers or the Heat, like a team that has a better future than the Chicago Bulls and looks like they're going to be a playoff team and maybe make a deep playoff run, I think Zach waves the kicker. Now, I'm not Zach Levine. I don't know what's going on inside Zach Levine's head. I, like some guys would be like, yep, all right, if I get to go to a better situation, I get better weather, I get a different city, I get out of this place where like I've been 
kind of berated by the fan base a lot and made a scapegoat and whatever, and I can whatever, get to this other place. Yeah, I'm going to make the same money. Yeah, I'll wave the trade kicker to make it happen. Or maybe he's just like, hey, dude, you guys agreed to this thing. You got to pay me. I'm not doing you any favors. I'll just stay in Chicago and muck shit up for you. Like, I have no idea which, which end of that spectrum Zach falls on. I don't, like, you know, could be either. Could be there. Like, it's, it's not crazy that someone would have either one of those thoughts in their head. Now, I would be the, personally the type that would be like, hey, I only live one life. I want to be in Miami. I want to win or L.A. or wherever. I want to get to somewhere else. Uh, I'll wave the trade kicker to make it happen. But doesn't mean that Zach feels that same way, and he may have enough leverage that he doesn't have to wave it, and it'll happen anyway. Uh, but I think it'd be really interesting. It's going to be interesting to watch whether the Bulls are going to be willing to pay the luxury tax to dump Zach Levine. And so when you think about this, let's say they have to take back $46.5 million in salary, just for the sake of argument. Okay? They take back $46.5 million. Uh, now they're going to be, I think, I don't know, it's like maybe $6 million into the tax. So they pay an extra $6 million, um, I think it's like one to one for the first five and like one and a quarter afterwards. So we'll say it's like an extra $6.25 million or something like that in, in luxury tax. Then they also have to pay Zach's full bonus, 15% of his remaining contract, which I forgot to write down, so I don't remember exactly what it is, but we'll just say it's uh, four times six and a half million. So what's that, 24, 26 million? So they're going to lose 26 million there. They're going to lose another six and a half million in luxury tax. Uh, so they're going to lose 32 and a half million just to trade Zach, uh, and then they'll get back whatever they get if he requires that trade kicker. So I feel like there's a pretty good chance that they might hold the line. Like, yeah, we're not going to do that. Like if I was the Bulls, unless the return is just amazing and you love it, I'd have a really hard time justifying giving up an extra $32.5 million in cash to do Zach Levine a favor. So we'll see. That, that's also going to be a thing to watch, though. Because, it, you know, again, these guys just, they fold in every negotiation. So like while some front office might say, hey, you want out of here too, you got to work with us to make it happen. Wouldn't surprise me if these guys are incapable of that. Now, the other thing about the kicker is it lands on the cap of the team that takes him. So while we pay the money, it lands on the cap of the other team. And so the trade kicker also becomes a huge negative for that team, especially since a lot of the teams that we just talked about are in the tax or near the tax. And so that extra money becomes a huge amount, even if they're not paying the extra salary, it, it puts them in a much worse luxury tax uh, position. And then theoretically, if they're not over the apron, and like in the Lakers case, but it pushes them over the apron, um, you know, or, or the 76ers case as well, in either of those cases, like that also creates them a lot of problems. Sorry, the Lakers can't get pushed over the apron. The 76ers could. But uh, either way, it causes more problems. Like they're going to pay more money. Like the, So different scenarios for different different teams, but like Miami would just pay an absolute crap ton more money because they're already over the first apron. Philadelphia would go over the apron, which would put extra restrictions on them, and they pay a lot more money. And the Lakers just have limited flexibility because they're hard cap, so they can only add a teeny bit more salary anyway. You know, the amount of extra money they would pay, I know they wouldn't give a crap about because they're the Lakers and, it, you know, whatever. It's like $3 million is like the most extra they could pay. So, you know, even with the tax, it's like, I don't know, another maybe 2 million of that would be above the 5 million threshold. So yeah, you're talking like an extra, I don't know, three and a half million or something in, in total payments. Like that's not going to phase the Lakers. 
but, but it does create restrictions on how you have to match salaries. So there's a whole bunch of this other stuff going on here that influences this trade besides what teams think of Zach Levine and you know whether they want him or not and even the cost of the assets and everything else. You know, you've got these time restrictions and then you've got this trade kicker, which causes a lot of other weird challenges in this. So hopefully that just gives you some good knowledge about all of the odd things going on with this. And uh, yeah, that's all I got. I will talk to you guys next week.